Is God good? Do we serve a good God? Aren't you glad that the most powerful uh, person in the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, aren't you glad he's not the devil? That he's not a tyrant? That he's not a bully? That he's not somebody that likes picking on his creation, but he loves to empower, he loves to heal, he loves to strengthen, he loves to bring peace, he loves to give joy, he loves to walk with us through the valleys and celebrate the mountaintops. Aren't you glad that our God is good? Because if we didn't have a good God, we would be in a pickle. If we didn't have a good God, we would be in a mess. But thank God, he didn't just create us to mess with us. He created us to be like him. And he's a wonderful God to be like. I love the Lord and I'm just grateful that he loves me. Let's turn to the book of Luke chapter 7. Chapter 7. Part of the story tonight is going to deal with the topic of authority. You know, when we think of the authorities, we always think of the government. You know, we think of uh, the police or the sheriff or the FBI or the CIA or somebody, we, somebody in authority like a, a governor or a president or we think of, uh, you know, somebody uh, wearing a, a badge of some sort. And we think of that as the authorities, you know, the authorities. And then, of course, there's judges and uh, you know, others that have been given various kinds of authority. But you know, when God gives you a child, you have authority in that child's life. You have authority, and uh, you have a great deal of it in the beginning because you have the power to place that child where they're going to go until they can roll over, and then you seem to start losing authority from then on. But you have power and influence, and authority really is influence. And it's lent to us. We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar, when he stood out on his balcony and admired one of the eight wonders of the ancient world, when he stood there and he just standing over looking at his gardens and looking at the beautiful uh, empire he was ruling over, and he said, look at what I've done. And God said, what? Look at what you've done. For seven years he crawled around in the grass and his fingernails grew out like claws, his hair grew out like feathers, and he didn't have the sense to know he wasn't a cow. God wants you to understand that authority is lent to you. As a parent, it's lent to you over this gift from God, this child. If you have any influence at work, it's lent to you. If it's given to me to hold this mic tonight, it's lent to me. I don't own any authority. It's lent to me. I believe in being under authority. I believe you can't have authority till you come under authority. And an example of that is I hold a credential with the Assemblies of God. I'm under their authority. And they have a process if I get out of line where I can have that authority removed from me and they can take away the privilege and the freedom that I have to express myself as an ordained representative of our organization. The Lord certainly has the authority to decide if I live another day or go home tonight. You know, he has the authority of life and death. And so, you know, there is this authority that exists in this world. And, you know, we don't understand authority. Sometimes people think if they get any authority, they should wield it like a tyrant. We had a dog catcher in a town where I was pastoring. <laughs> Just funniest thing you ever saw. Came to the door and had a gun on her hip, you know, and she says, is there a dog in there? And I'm like, 
yeah, there's a dog in here. We just moved to town. Does that dog have a license? And he was like, the gun was on her hip in case we made a bad move. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready for you. I'm going to hit you with a dart or something. I don't know what was going to happen. But it was like, you, you've seen people, they get a little bit of authority, and all of a sudden, they're ready to shut down the highways throughout the state of Arkansas. And it's like, what's your job? Well, I'm the dog catcher, and we got to get this under control, you know. And it's so, authority can be exaggerated, right? It can, and, you know, it can be exaggerated by anybody. You've seen parents that exaggerated their authority. They were tyrants. Instead of loving authority like God has. You know, God doesn't club us all day long. You know, he's not like the big God with a ruler. But a lot of times our encounters with authority have caused us to believe authority is bad. Authority is given by God and it comes from God. And the Bible says one day all authority will be laid back down at his feet. Every ruler, every, every person that ever had any authority will lay it back down at his feet. And the authority will go back to where it was lended from. It, all authority comes from God. And believe me, he can deal with authority. The, the uh, you know, Pharaoh of Egypt ordered that all the, the males that were born should be thrown into the Nile and fed to the crocodiles. And, of course, the, the midwives resisted that order, and God blessed them because of that. But he felt he had the authority to take the life of God's people and just throw them away in the Nile River. So when the last plague hit Egypt, God took his firstborn. And he said, you're not the one with authority. I am. Satan will influence people like he has authority. Satan has no authority. Jesus made sure of that at Calvary. At Calvary, anything that Adam had given him, Jesus took back. The key to death, hell, and the grave was removed from him. Now, there are princes, principalities, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And Hot Springs certainly has its share of that. So there are spiritual authorities but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So the point is that the authority that I possess in Jesus' name, that you possess in Jesus' name, is greater than any authority that the devil has. He's called the God of this world. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He's a lot of smoke and mirrors. His authority is a bluff and bluster. Have you ever run into bluff and bluster? Have you ever run into people that inflated their importance? You know, sort of the Barney Fife's of the world. They got a bullet in their pocket and a gun on their hip. And look out, look out, because when I write a ticket, it's going to be like the wrath of God coming your way. But here's the thing. God, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I worked for a rescue mission, we had to deal with probation and parole. And probation is like the parole wannabes. Does that make sense? There's probably people here that really understand that. And the probation is a parole wannabes. I was very close to the parole agents. We used to have a meeting called a PAC meeting. It was parole and corrections team. And they would put resources around the room. They'd have a speaker. And everybody that was paroled had to come to that meeting as one of their duties. And then they would see that there's rescue missions. There's people to help you get your license back. There's people to help you with, you know, getting, uh, getting uh, child support straightened out. And there were people around the room to help them succeed you know, and not go back to prison, but help them to get a good launch so that they could succeed. Uh, the parole and corrections team, they were so low-key and relaxed, you never knew if they had a weapon, you never saw a badge, 
you know, they were just so relaxed. They were comfortable in their authority. They knew the power they possessed over other people's lives. They knew that. But they didn't wave it around. It wasn't like a billy club. Then there was the probation guys. I, re <laughs> I remember the probation guys. It was like the Keystone cops coming. Now, if you're a probation officer out there, I don't know where I live. But anyway, the, uh, uh, the, the probation, this was in another state. It has nothing to do with Hot Springs or Garland County. But anyway, the probation officers would come in with bulletproof vests that said, probation across the front. And they'd have a gun up here, and they'd have their hand on it the whole time. And they'd come in and say, we're here to see, you know, Bob Schmob, you know. And, and it was like, wow, <laughs> Barney Fife is in the building. You know, it was, it was just, uh, they had less authority than parole. Parole is prison level, and they were more at the jail level. And, and it was a different game for them, but they were, they had their gun. And I was always hoping it had rubber bullets in it or something because it was, it was kind of scary when they came. They would come zooming up in unmarked cars. They would all jump out as a team. And it would look like an assault coming. You know, they're coming. We're coming, you know. And you'd see uh, parole come up, and they would just be so casual and so soft-spoken. But they got the same results. I mean, you know, you're, you have authority over somebody's life during that probation or parole period. And they need to comply or they can violate you. You know, I mean, you need to comply if you're in that situation so that your life can prosper and go forward. And you don't want to ruffle their feathers or make it hard for them because that only makes it hard for you, right? And it's the same with authority in a home. If you have a parent and you're a child, you don't want to make it hard for the parent because they have the authority over you. You know, they're the ones that could set your curfew or your bedtime or, or they could... Uh, you know, decide if you have to eat all of the liver or only part of it. You know, you have to eat all your Brussels sprouts or only three of the four that are sitting there. You know, they have authority. And, and so authority can be tyrannical or authority can be the great thing that keeps the world humming. You know, authority can be the thing that keeps things in focus and keeps things on track and keeps things safe for all of us. Authority is an important part of what God's given to humanity. God has given government to us as a way to manage our world, and yet we've seen throughout history that there are the tyrannical leaders and there are the wonderful leaders who have the best interest of those under their authority in mind. We've seen bosses that are tyrannical, that don't know how to wield authority and think that they have to drive their employees. There are companies that believe that every employee needs to have something that brings them down a peg or two when they're reviewed or, in, you know, when they, you know, they look at them like our duty is to pick you apart. And then there, there are leaders who build people up and it seems like they can't do any, anything wrong and their people love them. I work for Federal Express and, uh, wasn't in uh, this state, so if you're, uh, uh, you know, a Hot Springs Federal Express, don't be concerned. But I, I worked under leaders that were kind of what you'd expect. I worked under leaders that were difficult, but we worked on, under one leader in particular, and our work was providing us with small bonuses, but the managers got big bonuses. And this manager took a big bonus and broke it down into $50 bills and handed it to each employee and said, I couldn't have this without you. Those people would have walked through fire for that boss. You know what I mean? But they understood that authority doesn't have to be a club. It can be a glove. 
You know, it can be gentle. And a parent doesn't have to talk down to their children. Don't you hate that when you uh, are in a public place and you hear uh, some child called stupid or, uh, you know, uh, degraded or denigrated in front of uh, the public? And it's not God's will for any parent to tear down. We're supposed to be building up. We need compliance. Authority needs compliance. You know, uh, our sheriff can't do his job. The police can't do their job unless we comply with authority. But that authority is lended to them by the city, the county, the state. And I, I have a trooper for a nephew. And that trooper has won awards. And, you know, we're really proud of him. But it's, he's not doing it in his authority. He's doing it in authority that's lent to him by uh, the state of Arkansas. And so he does what he needs to do to keep us safe. I, I don't want to be without authority in my life. And I don't want to be out from under authority. I believe that churches thrive best when there's a chain of command. The pastor not only has the most authority in the room, but he's going to answer for the most in the room. One day he'll stand before God, and if he mistreated his flock, I don't want to stand in front of God and find out I mistreated my flock because that's God's flock. And if you miss, you know, I don't know anything that would rile me up like somebody mistreating one of my children or grandchildren. You could probably bring out the ugly side of Tim if you harmed one of my kids. And if I feel that way protective, I'm not talking about just being a mean person, but if I feel protective of my children, how much more does God feel protective of his children? And how much more capable is he of exacting some sort of uh, consequence for people being uh, abusive to the family of God? God loves you. And in that love, we, gotta, we have to submit to his authority. You know, the Bible talks about how that men, uh, their wives should submit to them and their authority. So they're surrendering their freedom and independence. But men are supposed to surrender their freedom and independence to their wife. So, you know, there's a mutual authority exchange that happens in a marriage. And also those co-parenting of the children bring up the healthiest child. For those of us that have been single parents, and I have for a season, that, that's not the best plan. That's not God's will. Because the woman balances the man, and the man balances the woman. I've seen women that were too soft, but I've seen men that are too soft too. You know, you'll see, have you ever heard a man say this? Don't tell your mom. Tell your mom. We're going to stop at the ice cream place, but don't tell your mom that I had a banana split. You'll get an ice cream cone if you can keep quiet. I remember I felt bad. It was dad's weekend and one of the daughters chose to stay behind and one came while I was planning to go to an amusement park. Imagine, you know, taking one to Magic Springs but the other one didn't come because she didn't come for my weekend and it was already arranged to go with a group from church and, and uh, they didn't know. So I told the one after we had a wonderful day, I said, uh, don't tell your sister that she missed a, a weekend at the amusement park. So when we took her back to go home, what do you think she ran out of the car saying? I got to go to the amusement park. It was so wonderful. You know, there were times when Jesus said, don't, don't tell what we just did here. You know, I just delivered you, healed you, cast out a demon. Now don't, let's not talk about it. 
And they would turn, no sooner turn away, being delivered, healed, whatever the case. Hey, look what Jesus did! You know, and Jesus is probably going, oh. Authority. Authority does not have to be mean, but authority needs to be respected. We, we don't always like authority. Do you always like authority? I don't always like authority. But authority is supposed to be respected and prayed for. You need to be praying for the leaders in our government, the leaders in our community, the leaders that uh, we, we live with and under. So let's take a look at why the whole discussion about authority came up. In chapter 7 of uh, book of Luke, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus had finished saying all this. He went back to Capernaum. Now the highly valued slave of a Roman officer, and that would have been a centurion, was sick and near death. The Romans had a policy that if your slave couldn't produce a day's labor, you could just throw him out. And it was fully within your power to kill your slave because they were your property. Uh, America had a small history of this, but the ancient world had a big history in this. Matter of fact, Corinth had 10% uh, free men and 90% slaves. So they dressed them all different so the slaves wouldn't figure out that they, they were uh, outnumbering them almost 10 to 1. And uh, in, some time, in some cases, they were very tyrannical. But this was a whole different guy. This guy had a slave. He was a Roman. And he, he was in possession of a highly valued slave that was sick and near death. He could have just cast him aside and just let him fend for himself. He could have just thrown him out and, you know, went and bought a new slave. I mean, that's, that's the kind of world they were living in. And yet he was so concerned with this slave's well-being. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish leaders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to come with them and help the man. If anyone deserves your help, it is he. The Jews still have an idea among them that is a, a favored citizen. There is a deserving citizen uh, award that they give to non-Jews that have treated Jews well. This particular centurion had built a synagogue for them, and he was considered a deserving uh, Roman for his contributions to the Jewish people. And so they're saying he loves the Jews and even built a synagogue for us. So here's a man that is a Roman. He's a Roman officer. The Romans were brutal. Uh, their idea of peace was when they beat up their enemies so bad they couldn't fight back. And when they couldn't fight back, then yay, we got peace. You know, the Romans were tough. A matter of fact, the Romans kind of softened up as they got old as an as a empire and they outlawed the way they killed Jesus. They said, that's just too cruel. We can't be doing that. But there was a time when they had slave rebellions where they lined the roads with crosses. And they would put rebels on the cross up and down the road and leave them up there as a sign, you don't push on us or we'll push back hard. And uh, matter of fact, when Nebuchadnezzar saw the, uh, the idol that talked about the ancient world, you know, the head of gold and, uh, you know, the... the breastplate of silver and loins of bronze, the legs were iron. And that was talking about the Romans. The Romans were harsh and hard. But here's a Roman officer, somebody with authority, that instead of wielding it like a club, used it with great grace and great understanding. And so here he is saying, 
uh, can you guys talk to Jesus and see if he'll come and heal this slave? So Jesus went to them, went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. It's really interesting because Jesus is a carpenter turned rabbi that at his death owned nothing but a good suit. Nothing. He had a seamless robe that they gambled over, and that was all he had. He did not have a lake house or a Mercedes uh, you know, chariot or anything like that. He was without anything. Isn't it interesting that the owner of the heavens and the earth could walk down here with nothing and be among us and be perfectly content with nothing? Sometimes when we have everything, we're still not content, are we? You know, sometimes the striving to have something is more exciting than the having of something. But here's this man of humble origins a matter of fact, it was uh, even among the Jewish leaders, it was scandalous. Jesus' birth was well known. The fact that Joseph was not Jesus' dad was known, and nobody knew who the father was. You know, Mary wasn't talking, and uh, wouldn't have believed her anyway. So Jesus had sort of a scandalous reputation. He's a carpenter from a poor city. What good could come from Nazareth? It's kind of like, really? Nazareth? But here's this Roman officer sending people to him because he didn't feel worthy to go to him. And then when he comes near, he doesn't want him under the roof because he's not worthy. This is somebody who understands. Honor and authority go together. The currency of heaven is honor. Honor your mother and father that your days will be long upon the earth. See, in Jewish times, they could give a big offering to the church and be let out from under their obligation to take care of their parents when they're old. One of the problems in China with the one-child policy was that they were aborting a lot of little girls because the man was expected to take care of his parents. So if you could only have one child, your retirement plan is that you had a son. There's a whole generation of bachelors in China right now that are kidnapping other people's wives in other cities because there's not enough ladies to go around. It's bad. And now China's saying, you know, two or three kids would be okay. They've reversed some of their policies, but there's a whole generation under the one-child policy that don't have spouses. So the point is here, as we look at this, here's a man that is kind, he has tremendous authority, but he's also humble, and he knows how to honor. And so when the Bible says, honor your mother and father that your days will be long upon the earth, what it's saying is, your kids will see how you treat your parents. If you don't treat them well, they won't treat you well. If you kick your parents to the curb, they're kicking you to the curb. But what the Jews had done, they created a loophole. Rather than being responsible for some old feeble person, they would give a big offering to the church and they'd be relieved of their duty. It was a fundraiser for the church. You give a big offering and then you don't have to take care of your parents. And Jesus said, uh-uh, that ain't right. That's not what we told you to do. We told you to take care of your parents. So here as we look at this, it says very clearly that he did not even feel worthy to come and meet you. 
I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word where you are and my servant will be healed. If you have family in another city or another state or another place and you find out that they're not doing well, do you understand and believe that if you say, I'm praying for you and you take that request before the Lord and you say in Jesus' name that you can have somebody healed in Florida because you petitioned heaven on their behalf. You can have somebody healed in, in Virginia that you petitioned on heaven's behalf. You said, heaven, I, there's a need over here. Can heaven respond to that? Heaven's not geographically limited, and we do not have to touch people. Now, laying hands on people and praying for them is perfectly acceptable. The Bible encourages us to do that. But sometimes we don't have the ability to do that. But when we lay hands on people, we're exerting that authority and saying, in Jesus' name, I believe. The reason the oil's involved is because I don't heal anybody. That's the Holy Spirit coming between my flesh and your flesh because it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. I'm just moving through the motions. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. You feel like there's a big lack in your life? Ask. You have the authority to ask. Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Just imagine somebody who, you, you know, I mean, I, I, I know that former President Trump is a rich man. Just imagine Trump mailing me a little gold card you know, a visa or something, and saying, everything in my empire is on that card. Anything you want to do it, do it at any time. You don't need my permission. Just say, in Trump's name, I'm taking care of this. Wouldn't that be a helpful, that'd be a helpful card to have in your wallet, wouldn't it? We got Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, there's nothing about Mr. Trump that compares to Jesus. You know, Trump loves Jesus, by the way, but, but there's nothing that compares to heaven. And God has given us authority to tread on serpents, to put the devil under our feet, to move all sickness out of the way, to bring down heaven, to prosper, to do well, to conquer, to achieve great and wonderful things. But we have to believe that. We can go around as a victim or we can go around as a victor. God said, it's your choice. In my name, you can cast demons out. In my name, you can ask anything and I will do it. Why do we say, well, you know, I hope Jesus is, you know, thinking about me. I know he's busy. There's lots of people on the earth. So what? You know, sometimes I get a Skype from a couple of my kids at a time. You know, I have time for both of them. They'll, they'll send me a Marco Polo or they'll send me an email. I have time to respond to both of them. And I'm finite. What can God do who's infinite? He can do anything he wants to do. What's he willing to do? We talked about last week, if you want to, you could help me. And he said what? I want to. But the devil wants to put it in your ear to doubt. Did God really say did God really say he would heal you? Did God really say he would be with you? Did God really say he cared about you? I don't know. You know, you're just sort of invisible, insignificant, unimportant. The Bible says I have royal blood flowing through my veins. My, my name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm a child of the living God. I've been adopted into the most royal family there is. You know, that hairy guy and the other brother over in England, they don't have nothing on me. 
I'm related to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have to believe. But what do you believe? Well, I believe I should go to church twice a week and, you know, maybe I ought to read the Bible. You need to believe that you're the one that marches around here and makes demons afraid. When you get up from prayer, the devil's nervous. Because we can wield the kind of authority. We can wield the kind of authority that pushes darkness back. You know what I love about light? Have you ever been in a cavern? I've been in a cavern. And in a cavern, sometimes you can get deep enough in the earth that you can get to absolute darkness. You know, that's the kind of deep and dark where mice go blind and, uh, you know, things are in a very different world where there's the absence of light. And they'll turn out the light. And I mean, you got an inky black where you can't see your hand when it's touching your eyeball. And then they light one little candle. Just a match, just a candle. And all of a sudden the darkness starts to retreat. You light a couple of candles and even more darkness retreats. Maybe you flip on the lights that they have wired down there and all of a sudden the darkness starts to flee. This is the illustration God uses with the devil. He says, darkness will flee from you. You are the light. You know, uh, Facebook does come up with a good meme once in a while. And they had one that said, I was afraid of the dark until I realized that the dark is afraid of me. Is there any reason the devil should be afraid of you? If I'm prayed up, if I'm washed in the blood of Jesus, if I'm standing in the authority of God, if I read my word and I talk to my Lord, I know who I am in Jesus Christ. Yes, the devil is scared to death of me knowing who I am and what authority I carry. My authority is not to pick apart other people. I love what pastor says when he says, we're not in the business of right and wrong. We're in the business of life and death. And what we do is we bring life into a world that's dead. And we bring light into a world that's in darkness. What do you want when you're scared in the dark? You want mom or dad to come down the hall with a light, you know, the power's off and dad brings a flashlight down and lets you sleep with it and said, don't be afraid, I'm here. And you sleep all the better. Maybe you run the D-cell batteries out in the flashlight all night, but you know dad's just right there. Mom's nearby. The dog maybe's up in the bed with you and you're comforted because all these things are protecting you. God's authority protects me. You don't have to let, uh, you know, sickness and disease rest on your doorstep. You don't have to live in poverty. God can provide for anything that you have need of. You don't have to live with sickness. You can see the change when you believe what the word says. You know why we don't have more? We don't know more. We don't read the word. We don't, we're not in prayer. We're not listening to what God has to say. Don't go to God last. Go to God first. Because God has empowered you with the authority. This man honored Jesus. And isn't it wonderful? When you read the word, God is very disappointed with the religious leaders. Because they're jealous of him. But he's so impressed. We don't see a bad word about a centurion in the Bible. These Roman officers honored God. They recognized him. Even Pilate, when he was sentencing him, you know, he said, don't you understand that I have the power of life and death over you? And Jesus said, no, you don't. And, you know, I really believe Pilate did one of these. Oh. Because he didn't just say it. He was it. When he spoke with authority, Pilate had been around Caesar. He had a ring that 
when Pilate had a ring that said he was a friend of Caesar. Now he'd been in some trouble because of Herod. Herod was also a friend of Caesar and Herod had taken the complaint of the religious leaders to Rome and so he'd kind of been slapped on the hand because he wasn't doing a good job in Jerusalem. It was a hard place to rule. Nobody wanted to be there. The Jews were stiff-necked and hard-headed like some Christians. Not to mention anybody in particular, you know. But Pilate had been in the presence of true authority. People that were determining the outcome of an empire. Some of them were crazy, like Nero, but, you know, he'd been in the presence of Caesar. And the Caesar title had become, you know, godlike, which government kind of heads that way. Eventually they want to be worshipped. But he knew what authority was, but he had never seen authority like Jesus. Jesus had been whipped, he was bleeding, his face was swollen up, he was, uh, had his beard pulled out, he was a mess, skin hanging from his back, he was standing in front of Pilate, just physically whipped, and Pilate says, do you not know that I have the power of life and death? And Jesus said, no, you don't. You don't have anything that wasn't given to you. And the giver is me. You know what shook Pilate? He believed him. He believed him. It scared him a little bit. His wife had been having bad dreams about Jesus, saying, you know, leave this one alone. You, you've had plenty of dealings with wicked men. This is not a wicked man, and I've been having bad dreams. You need to leave him alone. And he tried to wash his hands of the whole deal, but he had to do the executing because they had taken the right to execute away from the Jewish court. The Jewish court could not condemn a man to death. That's why they went to the Romans. They didn't like the Romans. They hated the Romans. But they understood that they had the authority of life or death. And so they had to go to the Romans. They submitted to Roman authority because they were so jealous of Jesus. They were willing to take his life even if they had to make up stories to do it. But Jesus had the authority. You know... I don't think we can grasp the gravity of Calvary. Jesus had the authority to just wipe us all out. He had the authority to just lift himself off the cross like somebody in X-Men or something and say, look at me, I'm somebody. But instead he made himself a nobody. And he hung on the cross and took the punishment for my sin. Mine. It doesn't matter what you've done. He was on the cross for what I did. If you never did anything, I would have still had him on the cross. And he had the authority to wipe me out and say, you're no good, off with your head. But instead he said, let me take your punishment so I can set you free. Wow. This Roman grasped that. This Roman captured that. He said, I'm a man under authority, and I have authority. If I tell a man to go here or a man to come there, they do it. And if you command that servant to be healed, it'll be done. Wow. You know, it's interesting that it was the Gentiles that grasped it. He was always marveling at the Gentiles. If you look at Jesus marveling at people, it's not at the Jews that had the whole Old Testament. They had 39 books of the Bible. They had the entire law. They had the synagogue. They had memorized the first five books of the Bible. And if they were a rabbi student, they'd memorized all 39 of the Old Testament books. They had it to memory. They knew it all. And yet it, the ones with great faith were the ones 
that were outside of the Jewish faith and saw in what they had, and they didn't even recognize it. Jesus wept when he came down that hill on Palm Sunday. He wept. They were celebrating the Messiah has arrived. And he stopped the colt and looked over the city and wept and racked his bones and shuddered with tears and cried and wept and said, I'm right here in front of you and you don't even see it. But then there's a centurion that says, I know who you are and I'm not worthy for you to come anywhere near me. You know, it's kind of like when Peter caught the big catch of fish a week or two ago and he fell down in front of Jesus and said, go away, I'm a sinner. I, 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 you're, yeah, I, I got it. I see who you are. I'm not worthy to be near you. You know, there's people that talk a big game, but if Jesus appeared in the room, I guarantee you we'd be on the floor. He's got majesty and authority and power, and we are nobody until he extends his hand and says, don't be afraid. I love you. He doesn't have to love me. He doesn't have to love us. But a person with authority has the power to wield it how they choose. And our God chooses to wield it in a saving manner. Don't look at his patience as weakness. Don't look at his patience like he's lost some of his authority or lost some of his vigor or lost some of his power. When God rises up to judge this world, they will feel the quaking and shaking of God. The tribulation period will not be a pretty time. And when he goes to the great white throne judgment, there won't be any questioning of his authority. There won't be anybody in the back room threatening him and saying, you better go easy on this guy or you'll find out why. It's going to be God in authority saying, this is how it's going to be. I gave you the opportunity. You didn't take it. These are the consequences. This is the life you lived. What do you have to say for yourself? There isn't anything to say when you reject the love of your creator. But people are doing it all the time. I see people within the walls of the church rejecting God's authority. Wow. Aren't you afraid of anything? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to fear the Lord. You know what kept me out of a lot of trouble when I was a kid? Now, I grew up a church kid. Get, get, get that, you know, in your thoughts. I had parental pressure. You know, people talk about peer pressure. I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I understood their authority. And I wasn't willing to fail their expectations. We need to come to a place where we recognize God's authority. We obey God's authority. And we recognize that he loves us. God is not a, you know, a slot machine where you throw in your prayer quarter and you pull the handle. Let's see what God can do for me today. God's a Papa God that loves his kids and will do what's in your best interest or he'll retreat if you reject it. He won't make you go to heaven. I'd pull my belt off Walk you real good and make you go to heaven. You'll go to heaven whether you like it or not. I remember one time I was so upset with my son and uh, I had tickets to a hockey game, an indoor arena hockey game. I was so mad. He had done a boneheaded thing and uh, I was so angry. And I took him to that game trying to control how I felt, you know. It was a great game. But I would have enjoyed it so much more if he hadn't rejected 
my authority. You know what I mean? We have a choice. And children rebel. I mean, that's just the nature of children. Their circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and we hope they don't rebel, but they will. They'll push the limits. They'll become more independent, and it can be a graceful transition, or it can be a herky-jerky, I would like to skin him, hang him up, and kill him, but it doesn't work that way. You know, you can't do that. We love our children. We love them a lot. So he honors Jesus. He doesn't feel worthy of him coming. And he said, I know I am under the authority of my superior officers. I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go. Come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this or do that, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Underline that. You won't see him saying that around the uh, religious leaders. You know, the sin counters. You know, you feel like they ought to have a little visor and one of those calculators where they used to pull the lever. Caught you, ding. Caught you, ding. Caught you. That's not God's will for anybody. God didn't put us in charge of that. You know, God's the only true judge. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's when he'll judge. He'll give us all the rope we could possibly have. And boy, haven't we run with that. Has anybody here ever run the wrong direction? Ah, nobody here, but you know. There have been times when we were just running the wrong direction. And he just, the rope's just going out of the reel, you know. And God will not drag us back. He'll just wait until we're ready. He has the authority. He has the authority to judge us at any moment. And yet he constrains it and holds back. He has the authority to change the destiny of our life. He has the authority to create goodness in our life. But he won't force it on us. What kind of authority is that? I think God should have sirens and police cars and come in and say, you will be blessed. But instead, he'll wait till we're ready to receive it. He'll wait till we're ready to acknowledge him. He'll wait till we're postured right. And by that, I mean pointed toward heaven. You know, everybody gets his blessings. When it rains, it rains on the good and the bad. When they plant the crops, it grows for the righteous farmer and for the wicked one. God blesses everybody. The sun keeps coming up on all of us. Thank you, Lord. But what a wonderful thing it is to be in tune with him instead of counter, contrary, going the other direction. He was amazed, and we're talking about Jesus, and turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. (gasps) What? The people who had the Bible of the time? I haven't seen faith like this among my people? What? What? And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed completely healed God wants to heal you physically, emotionally, spiritually God wants to bring you to wholeness you know we talk about perfection and I think sometimes Christians have grabbed the idea of perfection and they run with it 
I'm just a perfect little Christian, no wrinkles. Hee 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 hee. It's like, whoa. It's so sugary sweet it makes my teeth hurt. I'm a human being that God has blessed with his presence. And God is teaching me and leading me and guiding me and helping me grow up. I want to be like Jesus. Don't you? And what's Jesus like? What do you see Jesus like? What's Father God like? You think he's in a bad mood? You think God's surly? You think God's angry? You think God's grouchy? I think God comes in at night and sings over us. I think God gives good gifts to us. Sometimes they slip in so naturally that we pray a prayer and we never thank him for the answer because it just came in so naturally. And God did it. It's like God answered my prayer. I need to be so filled with gratitude, so grateful. And when he lends authority to me, I need to be so generous and so kind to the people that I might have any influence over at all because eternity hangs in the balance. Do we honor the Lord and respectfully use his authority? Or do we stomp around like, do you know who you're talking to? That's the way the religious leaders were. They came through the markets, you know, with their robes. And, and when they came through, everybody got out of the way. Here come the religious leaders. Here come the rabbis. And the rabbis were greatly respected. But the rabbis couldn't lend respect to the one who deserved it the most. They couldn't give respect to the one that gave them the authority to be who they were. God help us to be filled with gratitude, filled with respect. And help us to tap into that authority that God's given us. Authority for what? To pray for your neighbor. To believe that God's going to hear and answer your prayer. To not be a victim, but a victor. To not be in the mully grubs, to be excited and at peace and full of joy. God doesn't want you to live under. He wants to live, you to live above. We're not the tail. We're the head. We are the head and not the tail. Why do we let the devil wag our dog? We need to be the one leading the path. You can kick the devil to the curb. When he gets on your shoulder, flick him away. Why is it we'll use a fly swatter on a fly, but we'll make a bed for the devil? You need to kick the devil out. You need to raise the rent. This is God's house. There's no room for you. You have the authority in Jesus to live a whole different life. Learn from the centurion. He respected who Jesus was so much that he was humbled by the fact that he would even acknowledge his request. And he stopped him before he came in the house. Now Jesus doesn't want us to stop him. But Jesus certainly wants us to use the currency of honor to grow in the faith. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about what I am. It's about who he is and who he's becoming in me. Any good thing that I've ever done, he did it for me. Quit taking all the accolades. They belong to him. It's him. It's always been him. 
be grateful that you've encountered him before you pass this life because I don't want to encounter him on the wrong side of the bar. I don't want him to be standing in front of me as the judge that sends me off the wrong direction in eternity. I want to go to the judgment seat of Christ where it's an award and I get a crown and I get to worship him by giving the crown back and saying, you're the one that's worthy of worship. I don't want to be before a judge that says, I have the authority to say, depart. I never knew you. I don't want that. I want to go to heaven. And I want all y'all to go to heaven. Don't let anything. You know, we live in a culture. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and there was a lot of counterculture, you know, uh, fighting authority. Uh, you know, there, there was just sort of a counterculture movement at the time that was pushing back on any authority. And it even came into the church. We need to submit to authority, surrender to God. Because when we surrender, he doesn't humiliate us, he elevates us. God wants us to be capable of moving up. The centurion showed him, you're capable of elevation. You're capable of me honoring you. You honored me. I can honor you in return. Because look at this man's faith. What was Jesus doing? He was being honored and he turned around and honored the guy back. Can you imagine God saying, you know, you really amaze me. That's what he wants to say about you. I got a little 11-month-old granddaughter and a little 7-year-old boy. Uh, I spent the day with him uh, Monday in Fort Smith while Connie had to go to a meeting. And uh, it, we're amazed by the silliest stuff, you know. They take their first step. They say their first word. They put a big grin on their face. We think it should, you know, move out the other stories in the paper because my granddaughter has done something special here. My, my grandson, he just used a big word in context. I, I want that to be in bold print on the front of the Sentinel record. You know, I want, it to, I want all of Hot Springs to know that, you know, my grandson's special. And if I can feel that way about my grandchildren, how does God feel about me? What little achievement have I made that God says, look, he took his first step in that direction. Look, he, he ventured out in faith. Look, look, he, he made me struggle with it, but he, he, made the, he took the chance. He made the leap. And, and look at that. Look at that. I mean, can you see God in heaven leaning out of his chair, watching Peter take a couple timid steps out on the water? Cheering him on, all of heaven, clapping and applauding as Peter stretched his faith and used his authority. It was amazing. And it's still amazing. And God still looks at you like that. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. You're his kid. There's not a point where you say, you're not my kid, you know. God just says, you're mine and I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He'll never cut the tie. You can cut it. You have free will. But why would you? Why? God's saying, ask. What do you need to ask? What's on your mind? Then ask. The centurion didn't even feel worthy to go fetch him. Other people went, and then they tried to defend the centurion's right to be considered by talking about the good that he'd done. 
And when he came and approached the centurion's house, he said, wait, 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 wait. I'm not deserving of any of this. I'm not deserving of accolades. I'm not deserving of your presence. I'm not deserving of anything. I just ask that you do something. Who is he asking for? Do something for me? No, he's saying do something for my servant. He needs you. You know what you find on the way to helping other people? The answer to your prayers. God help us. To receive the authority we've been given, to come under the authority, and to use the authority for the good that God intends it to be used for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if this room has...